boy, it was so good. If you weren't around here, you maybe you heard us, uh, because it was crazy, crazy, crazy. And a big shout out to the to the fire department right up here, bringing all that water. It was fantastic. All, all of you that were volunteering and helping with the camp, would you please stand if you even made it to church this morning? <laughs> Come on, put your hands together for all of these amazing people. So, so good. We had 15 kids give their life to Jesus um, this past week. And um, like Eric said, there's about 60 kids um, who are not part of the One Chapel Church family. And we don't really know if they're a part of a church family or not. But it was so great to be able to open our doors and, and just show the love of God to so many different people, these kids and their families. And it was a lot of fun. You missed the last day's picture because they did all of this on Thursday to show the kids on Friday. But they had snow cones and, and what else were Pies in the faces. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so crazy, crazy, crazy. Logan's on vacation now and will recuperate for the next um, week after all of that. But thank you, everybody, for making that possible. What a great, great, great event. It's our first one and didn't know how it was going to go. Logan was hoping we'd have at least 50 kids here. He thought it would be a success if we had 70 and we had 115. And so way to go, everybody. Again, put your hands together. So good. Real quick, before we jump in, we're kind of flipping our, our, our service upside down. We're going to do worship at the end. That'll make sense in just a little bit. But real quick, just men, remember, this Saturday we have our men's breakfast. So ladies, please help your men folk to remember this Saturday at 9 o'clock. We're going to feed their tummies and have a good time here. 9 o'clock this Saturday. All right, get your Bibles out if you would, please. We started a series a couple weeks ago that we're calling I Will Survive. And uh, what this series is all about, really, is how to survive a bad day, and we've all had them, right? <laughs> um, I, I saw some of these things, I, I read some of these last week, I got a few more, but these are some actual statements found in insurance forms where a car driver attempted to summarize the details of their accident in the fewest of words. Here's a few more um, this morning. The first one is, I had been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. <laughs> You'll get that one later, right? Here's another one. My car was legally parked as it backed into the other vehicle. Another one. An invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my car, and vanished. That's the excuse we all use, right? I love this one. I was on my way to the doctor with rear-end trouble, and my universal joint gave way, causing me to have an accident. Kind of makes a difference where you put your English words, right? And here's one more. An indirect cause of the accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. <laughs> I love that we can laugh about this, but when you experience a bad day, laughter usually is the last thing to come to us. And when you think about it, your bad day may last into weeks and months and even into years. And so how do we survive these bad days that come at us? Look at this in Hebrews chapter 12. This has been kind of our theme verse um, for this series. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne 
of God. I love how the message paraphrases this verse, and it says it this way. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you think about it, Jesus went through the worst day ever. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying that we need to study how he did it. We need to actually study and look at how the perspective that he had as he was going through his suffering, because I think there's just so much that we can learn from and how he survived his worst day ever. And one of the things that we see from Jesus really is the perspective that he maintained as he was going through his worst day ever. How many of you know perspective is everything? When you don't have right perspective in what's happening in your life, you're consumed by what's just being thrown at you. But I want you to notice Jesus' perspective here. Look at this in John chapter 19, verse 30. Jesus said, it is finished. I want you to kind of hold that in your, in your heart and your head here this morning as we talk about this. Because oftentimes, this is looked at as the final statement that Jesus makes before he dies. But in reality, this is not his final statement that he makes before he dies. There's one more statement that Jesus makes, and it's found in Luke 23, verse 46, which says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. And so, I want you to think about this, because When Jesus said, it is finished, that wasn't the end. Think about that. Jesus, his perspective was, it is finished, but it still wasn't the end. I think this is a really important lesson for every single one of us because that is the lesson. That is the lesson that we need to understand as we're going through those difficult seasons of our life because Jesus makes this statement even though it wasn't finished. Jesus makes this statement, it is finished in the midst of his suffering. Jesus makes this statement in the middle of his worst day ever. In other words, I know I'm still hurting. I know I'm still in pain, but I know it is finished. I know this is what it looks like now, but this is not the end of the story. There's still more to come. It's gonna, it's, this is not how it's going to turn out. And so that's why when you're going through a, your bad day, you need to be assured that there is a purpose and there is an end. And I like that word, assured. And my prayer for you, even here this morning, is not so much that you'll come away with new answers to your problems or new solutions to the things you're trying to discover, but that you'll leave here today with some assurance that what you're going through is not the end. That it's just, you're in the middle of this, whatever it is that you're going through, and that you know, and you come away from this morning, knowing that there's a better finish coming. Now, if ever there was somebody in the Bible who illustrates this better than anybody else, it's the story of a guy by the name of Job. And Job was a very devout man of God, but then he had a very, very, very bad day. He lost 
everything. He lost his home. He lost his livestock. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. Even all of his kids died. Most of us can't even comprehend that sort of a bad day. He lost everything except for his wife. And I just have to always chuckle about that when I think about that because the devil was after Job because he was convinced he could get Job to curse God. And so he began to take everything away from him. And so he took everything away from him except for his wife. And I have to wonder what type of a woman she was that the devil decided, okay, let's just make sure he still has her because that'll keep making sure that he's tormented. <laughs> and maybe eventually he'll say, okay, God, I curse you. <laughs> uncle, uncle, uncle. I just have to kind of do that as kind of a side there. But when you're reading the book of Job, which is the oldest book actually in your Bible, even though it's not your first book of the Bible, it's the oldest book in the Bible, all of this happens to Job in the very first two chapters of the book. And then in the next 36 chapters of the book, it's all about Job's and his friends just grumbling and complaining. And in Job chapter 30, we kind of come to this point where you kind of can see what this is all summed up in, in this verse 20, where Job says, I called to you, O God, but you never answer. When I pray, you pay no attention. Ever felt that way? Ever felt like God was a million miles away? Ever felt like that God wasn't listening to you? Ever felt like that when you prayed, it didn't make any difference? It's like you were just throwing out words into the universe and it, it was causing no certain effect? Well, that's what Job felt like. And he carried on this whining for 36 chapters in the book of Job until we finally get to chapter 38 and God, God finally goes, okay, enough. We've got to have a conversation about this. And in verse 1, it says, then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. I love that. God's going to make a point here. And so God answers Job out of the storm. And he said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? In other words, God was saying, Job, you're speaking about something that you have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. You have absolutely no idea what the end is in all this. You don't know how this is going to turn out. And you don't even know what I am doing. Verse 3, brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, Job, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. I mean, who stretched a measuring line across it? Verse 18, have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Come on, Job, tell me if you know all of this. What is the way to the abode of light, and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the path to their dwelling? Surely, Job, you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. <laughs> Can you hear the sarcasm in God's voice in all of this? And so Job does what I think every single one of us end up doing, and that is he answers God this way, Job 40, verse 3. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. Probably more of us should do that quicker than later, right? In our grumbling and complaining. But what this is showing us is there's just so much that we don't know. 
There's just so much that we don't get. God is working in your life. And that's the assurance that you have to have. God is working in your life. But the reality is you may not always have a clear picture of what it is that he's doing. And I would suggest to you that honestly, most of the time, you won't always know what he is doing. Why? Because you're in the middle. But Job discovers some things in his worst day of his life that I think is really important for us to understand as well. And the thing that he understands, the thing he has a revelation of, are some of the attributes of who God is. And these attributes are so imperative for every single one of us to understand, especially when you're going through your bad day. Look at this in Job 42. Look at his revelation. Verse 1. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And so the first attribute that Job discovers about God is, number one, God is all-powerful. He's all-powerful. The theological word for that is omnipotent, omnipotent. Colossians 1, verse 16 says, For everything, absolutely everything, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. When I was growing up, um, one of the things that we did as kids, I have two sisters, and one of the things that we did in our, in our household is that we would pray for my granddad to come to know Jesus Christ personally. My, my granddad did not know God. He was a very moral man, a, a great man. He went through World War II and, and was a self-made man, very, very successful in everything that he did. He knew there was a God, but he didn't have a relationship with God, and really he didn't want to because he was really embittered. Um, towards God. And so as much as I can remember, as early as I can remember, at every dinner table, when we would pray as a family, whoever was praying, whether it's one of the kids or my mom or dad, we would always pray for my granddad to have a salvation knowledge of Jesus Christ, that he would experience God. And I grew up that entire, uh, my whole life growing up praying for my granddad. And I'll never forget this. I, uh, the three of us, we were in college and we were home one summer break. And uh, my grandma calls, calls my parents' house, and we were all there, and I picked up the phone. It was my grandma, and my grandma said, hey, your granddad has some questions for you and the girls. Will the three of you mind coming over to the house so we can ask these questions? And we thought, it's 9 o'clock at night. I mean, they're usually asleep in bed or at least asleep watching TV. Um, but anyway, we, we got in our car, and we drove, and um, my grandma and my granddad were sitting at the kitchen table, and... And so we sat down um, with them, and he began asking all of these questions about God. Simple questions, crazy questions, um, radical questions, um, uh, controversial questions about God. And so his, as his three grandkids, here we were talking with him about everything that we had prayed for him about. And uh, we just began to share what we knew, the simplicity of what we understood and the things that we had experienced. And, and over the next two hours, we had this conversation. At the end of the two hours, he ended up giving his life to Jesus Christ. 
And he had this incredible, miraculous experience with God at, at 67 years old that I have rarely seen in people's lives, no matter what their age. He encountered God in such a miraculous way that all of a sudden, this guy who really was embittered with God had this incredible love affair with God, and he would go around and tell everybody about God and that they needed God. And they didn't really know who God was because they hadn't experienced him yet. And it, wherever he would go, he would share the miracle what God did inside of him. It was, it was just a, it was a wonder to befall. And, and I was thinking about this because over the last 50 years of my life, I've seen God do absolutely miraculous things. From people being raised from the dead to people being healed physically in all sorts of different ways, to, to situations and, and things lining up in unexplainable ways. And I've come to this conclusion in my life, and that is I'd rather have hope in an all-powerful God than certainty in a very limited me. Hello? Did you hear what I said? I'd rather have hope in an all-powerful God than certainty in a very limited me. This is the conclusion that I've come as, I, as I've been walking through my entire life. That, and just as Job experienced this all-powerful God, you and I need to experience this all-powerful God in whatever that we are going through because it will help you through your bad days. The second attribute that Job discovered about God, number two, is that God is all-knowing. God is all-knowing. The theological word for that is omniscient, which means God knows the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And his promise to every single one of us is that what he started, he will complete. The problem is for us is that we're in the middle. We're in the middle, which gives us no perspective. You have no perspective. You're not sure how this is actually going to end. And yet... We act like we know stuff. We act like we know stuff. But listen, folks, we don't. You don't know anything, people. Come on. And I know that might be a shot to your ego, and I hate to burst your bubble here this morning, but you really don't know anything. When we're in the middle of things, you don't know how it's going to go. And, and so that's why we have to look to God who is omniscient, and he knows the beginning and the end. He's the one who sees the whole picture. In Hebrews 4, verse 13, it says, God knows about everyone and everywhere. Everything about us is bare and wide open to the all-seeing eyes of our living God. Nothing can be hidden from him. So it was God is all-knowing. He sees it all. He knows exactly what's happening. Isaiah 57, verse 1. It says, good people pass away. The godly often die before their time. Now stop right there because I want you to think about that. Because I want to ask you a question. Have you ever, ever thought that? It says, good people pass away, and the godly often die before their time. I think that's what most of us tend to think of when a loved one dies unexpectedly or prematurely. But I want you to look at this next statement in this verse. It says, no one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. Listen, folks. God knows some things that you don't. He knows where paths go. And he sees some things that we cannot possibly understand. To continue my story with my granddad, 
Seven months after this dramatic experience with God, this dramatic salvation and deliverance and encounter, seven months after that, he dies. At the age of 67, he died of prostate cancer. Now, go put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. You know what I'm saying? How does that fit into anything? How does that work? How is that possible? I think if I was God, I would rewrite the story. I think I would have done it just a little bit differently here. There's just so much to this life. I don't know about you. There's just so much to this life that I don't understand. I don't get it. It doesn't always make sense to us, but I've come to this conclusion. That is, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to an all-knowing God. Never be afraid to trust your unknown future to an all-knowing God. Listen, folks, God knows. He knows the beginning and the end and all between. And so when you're going through a bad day, remind yourself. You're going to have to remind yourself you're in the middle. It's not going to make sense when you're in the middle. But remind yourself, never be afraid to trust your unknown future to an all-knowing God. And then the third attribute that Job discovers about God is that number three, God is ever-present. God is ever-present. The theological word for that is omnipresent, which means no matter where you go, God is there. And I don't know about you, but to me, this is one of the most comforting aspects of God and who he is, because no matter how bad my day is, God is there with me. No matter whatever you go through, he is there, right there with you. Hebrews 13, verse 5 says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord, he's my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Listen, folks, if God is with me, then I'm going to be all right. Even if I don't see it, if I don't understand it, even if it doesn't make sense, because God is with me, because God is with you, you're going to be all right. Because he'll be there. He'll walk you through whatever it is that you're going through. In Psalms 46, verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Psalms 139, verse 8 says, if I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Isaiah 43, verse 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be there. Isaiah 43, verse 5 says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Did you see the theme, everybody? Are you getting it? Are you getting the point here? Jeremiah 1, verse 8 says, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Verse 19 says, they will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And then in Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, folks, when I know that God is with me, then I can face whatever is against me. And that's the affirmation that needs to go deeply inside of your soul, that whatever is against you, because God is with you, you can face it. He is your helper as you're going through that difficult situation. And so that's why I want you to leave here with some assurance, not just answers or, or little trite solutions to what you think you need for this bad day that you're experiencing, but actually some assurance. I don't get it. But I know that my God is all-powerful. I don't understand, but I know that my God is all-knowing. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I'm not sure what my next step is, but I know 
that God is ever present. And listen, folks, when you get that inside of you, when you understand the nature of who God is, it transforms how you face circumstances. Any of you um, know the name Fanny Crosby? Any, any of you here? Maybe the older generation may know that name just a little bit better. She lived in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. Not that any of you are that old. <laughs> um, sorry. I just realized that that might have been a little bit of a diss, but that's not what I meant here. But she was a prolific songwriter. As a matter of fact, she wrote 8,000 hymns. That's why I said the older generation. The younger generation tends to not know the, the old hymns, but she wrote 8,000 hymns. One of the things that's interesting about her is that she lived to be 95 years old. And all but six weeks of her life, she lived it being blind. Actually, the first six weeks of her life, she could see. But a doctor mistakenly put a mustard poultice on her eyes and caused her to go blind. And so the vast majority of her life, she suffered until she died when she was 95 years old. But one of her most famous hymns is this hymn called Blessed Assurance. How many of you know that hymn? Any of you? The words go like this. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. See, she confidently talked about that God's got me. I know that I'm suffering right now, but I know that God's got this. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. He said, I'm suffering, yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. In other words, I know that I'm going through this today, but God's got it. I know that I'm suffering. I know that there's pain right now, but I know that God's got it, so I can trust him because it is finished. There's a purpose to all of this, and there's an end to it as well. And so I want to give you four declarations here this morning. And I think these four declarations are so imperative for us to declare, even on a daily basis, because it may not necessarily change your circumstances, but it will change you. And not only will it change you, it'll change how you interact with God, which then ultimately will change your response to those difficult situations that you encounter. And the first declaration that we need to make, number one, I know that God loves me. I know that God loves me. One of the first things, if you grew up in church, one of the first things you learn is that Jesus loves you, right? You sang the song, right? And we need to remind ourselves that Jesus loves me. I know it. And I know it because Jesus laid down his life for me. I mean, uh, how many people have died for you lately? In John chapter 15, verse 13, it says, Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus loves you. There's There's a, in the Old Testament, there's an entire book that's dedicated to complaining. Did you know that? There's one book that's all about complaining. Are you learning something here? The book is called Lamentations. In the book of Lamentations, the prophet Jeremiah, he's lamenting his condition and the condition of Israel 
But then in chapter 3, it's like he kind of slaps himself into reality. And he kind of says, okay, we've got we to make a shift here. I can't just live my life just grumbling and complaining. I've got to change my mindset. I've got to look at things differently. And I've got to make a different sort of declaration. He says this in verse 21. He says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. In other words, this is what I'm experiencing. I've been grumbling, complaining about all how miserable my life is and where God, and God is not here. And he's not changing this and he's not changing this. But he said, yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That should kind of ring a bell for some of you who know hymns, because in 1923, a guy by the name of Thomas Chisholm wrote a hymn from these verses called what? Great is thy faithfulness. And the words go like this, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee, thou changest not, thy compassions, they fail not, as thou hast been, thou forever will be great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning I see all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. See, Thomas was saying, when I'm going through a bad day, I've got to remember that God loves me. I got to remember that he's faithful even when I'm faithless because he loves me. And then here's the second declaration that we need to make. And that is number two, I know that God wants the best for me. I know that God wants the best for me. And the reality here is this morning that some of you may have a messed up view of God. Some of you may see God as a mean God. Some of you may see God as the one who's right there to strike you down when you make a mistake, whether just to slap you around or to throw a difficult situation or a bad situation. And so when you encounter something bad, you're thinking, oh, well, God's just putting it on me because he's, he's paying me back for what, I, for what I did. He's disciplined me for my bad behavior. And so you see God as the one who's right there to strike you down. Some of you see God as a withholding God. In other words, you have to beg and plead just to give to get God to do something for you. But I want to tell you here this morning, that's not who God is. None of that is who God is. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says this, If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for, all, for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Does it mean he... He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. No. Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory, he is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. See, folks, this is who God is. And so we all have to kind of look at how, what is my image of God? Because it's so important for you to see God rightly. Because when you encounter a bad day, if you don't see God rightly, then you won't run into him. Because you'll think it's God who put this bad day on you. But listen, folks, God has his, your best in mind. He wants the best for you. And then the third declaration that you need to make when we're going through a bad day is number three, I know that God has a plan for me. I know that God has a plan for me, that God is at work in ways that I can't always see. Again, these are declarations. You don't always feel it when you're in the middle, but these are things that have to guide you and, and maneuver you through when things aren't clear. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, 
plans to what? To prosper you in what? What did you say? Not to harm you. Plans to what? Give you hope and what? A future. Listen, folks, this is what God has for you. God has a plan for you, and it is good. And this is why you're going to hear me say this all the time, that, that this is one of the reasons why I want you to go through Catalyst. Because in Catalyst, chat, in, in Catalyst 2, we take the time to really look at, okay, what is your purpose? Your specific purpose. Not your general purpose, but actually what is your specific purpose? Why did God create you? What is your mission? in life? Why are you breathing? Why did God say, I want you here at this time? To actually take the time to discover God's purpose for you because his plans and purposes for you are good. And we're the ones that have to discover it, but you need to understand that they are good. And then the fourth declaration that we need to make when we're going through a bad day is number four, I know that God will bring me through. I know that God will bring me through. No matter what I'm going through, God will get me through it. Because he's there, he's with me, he's for me, he's not against me. 2 Timothy 4, verse 18 says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now you can look at that verse and say, Woo, look at what God's going to do. But let me say, suggest to you, that's a little bit challenging what this verse is describing here. Because there's actually two parts to what Paul is telling Timothy here of God working in our lives. Because on one side, it says that God will rescue you from from every evil attack that you face, that God's going to rescue you out of that bad day that you're going through and whatever it is that you're facing. But on the other side, it says that God will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. And so which one is it? God, are you going to rescue me from this or are you going to bring me to heaven? God, are you going to heal me of cancer or are you going to bring me on into heaven? And the answer is yes. Yes, because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, in both cases, you're a winner. When you know Jesus, you're in a win-win situation. Listen to this. Every single person that Jesus healed in the Bible, they still died. Hmm. Every person that were Jesus resurrected from the dead, they ended up dying again. Hmm. See, Jesus works, so from time to time, Jesus works here on the earth to rescue us in situations, and from time to time, he takes us on to heaven, and both are good. The Apostle Paul had this revelation. The authorities were, were telling the Apostle Paul that if he didn't stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would chop off his head. You know what Paul said? Would you? <laughs> would you go ahead and do that? <laughs> Because he had this revelation, Philippians 1, verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so, if you want to go ahead and just make that decision for me and chop my head, okay. Because to die is to gain. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it is a win-win situation, folks. And let me just suggest you, that's not a passive thing. Don't be passive with that and just say, well, I'm not going to fight this. I'm not going to fight this bad day. I'm not going to fight this cancer. I'm not going to fight this sickness. No, you fight. Because to live is Christ. Live, live, live. You want to have life inside of you, so you, 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 you push and you fight for life. Jesus came to give you life. By his stripes we are healed, and so you fight after for life. But at the same point, if God doesn't rescue in this, then he takes you on to heaven. That's a win-win situation, folks. And this is why, everybody, worship is absolutely essential when you're going through your bad days. Worship is absolutely essential because what worship does 
is it's this intentional act of taking my focus off of myself and my circumstances and putting my focus on God. I know the worship team's coming back up here, but please listen to me, not them. (laughs) We're going to go back into worship here, like I mentioned, but I want you to listen to why this is important, because I don't want you to just sing songs. When we come together on Sundays, we're not here just to interact with each other, which is great. We're not here just to sing some songs, which might be fun for you. If you don't like to sing, then it might be misery for you. (laughs) But that's not what it's about. What it's about is you engage your heart, your mind, your body, every part of you in this worship of God, where I take my focus intentionally off of me and off my circumstances, and I put my focus on God, which is why in your bad days, you need to worship your way through it. Worship your way through your bad days. The psalmist said in Psalms 27, verse 1, he said, the Lord is my light and my salvation, So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. Why? In the worst of days, in the most difficult of situations, why? Have this perspective. Verse 4. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when trouble comes. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Worship is this assurance that God is in charge. Worship is this assurance that God is in control of your life and your circumstances. And so that's why one of the most important things you can do when you have a bad day, worship. Step into, I can't tell you how many times just in my own life where I have to put worship music on in in my car. Just driving Highway 71 gives you a bad day. And so I have to worship my way down Highway 71. Sorry. Life is worse than Highway 71, and I, I, don't, I, want, I don't want to be trivial about that. But I can't tell you how many times in my life where I had to just turn on worship music in my office or at home or, you know, I, because this, this is kind of where I live a lot of my life, I was coming in the sanctuary, turn on music and just walk around and pray and worship or kneel or sit and, and just worship because what worship does, it takes your focus off of you. And it puts your focus back on the one who is all-powerful, on the one who is all-knowing, on the one who is ever-present. And when your focus changes, now you're not just stuck in the middle. Now you're kind of lifted up above with the one who is ever-present from the beginning and the end. And that changes then how you respond to your bad day. So if you would, stand up on your feet here. Because the worship team is going to lead you back in to worship. And I want to encourage you as they do that, be proactive. Don't get caught up in the words or what songs they're using, but let your own heart begin to magnify. Magnify begins to make it, make it bigger. Make God bigger in your life. As far as your worship experience, we also have communion down front here. And Jesus said, whenever you get together, do this in remembrance. 
It's worship. We're reminding ourselves, we're reminding ourselves, okay, what has Jesus done? Who is he? What has he done? He is everything that I need. He's the answer to everything that I'm seeking. And so let communion be a part of this worship experience as well. Our prayer teams are going to be up front and in the back. They're the ones that have the little green tags, and they're there to pray with you to stand with you in whatever that you're going through, whatever situation that you're facing. They're there also to pray with you. So come on, let's raise our voices and let's sing this here together. I want to read one more psalm to you. It's Psalms 73. It says, no doubt about it, God is good. Good to good people, good to good-hearted, but I nearly missed it, <laughs> missed seeing his goodness. I was looking the other way, looking up to the people at the top, envying the wicked who have it made, who have nothing to worry about, not a care in the whole wide world, pretentious with arrogance. They wear the latest fashions and violence, pampered and overfed, decked out in silk bows of silliness. They jeer using words to kill. They bully their way with words. They're full of hot air, loud mouths, disturbing the peace. People actually listen to them. Can you believe it? Like thirsty puppies, they lap up their words. What's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Nobody's tending the store. The wicked get by with everything. They have it made, piling up riches. I've been stupid to play by the rules. What has, what has it gotten me? A long run of bad luck, that's what. A slap in the face every time I walk out the door. If I had given in and talked like this, I would have betrayed your dear children. Still, when I tried to figure it out, all I got was a splitting headache until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I saw the whole picture, the slippery road you put them on with a final crash in the ditch of delusions and a blink of an eye disaster, blind curve in the dark and nightmare. We wake up, rubber eyes, nothing. There's nothing to them and there never was. When I was beleaguered and bitter, totally consumed by envy, I was totally ignorant, a dumb ox in your very presence. I'm still in your presence, but you've taken my hand. You wisely and tenderly lead me, and then you bless me. You're all I want in heaven. You're all I want on earth. When my skin sags and my bones get brittle, God is rock firm and faithful. Look, those who left you are falling apart, deserters, they'll never be heard from again. But I'm in the very presence of God. Oh, how refreshing it is. I've made Lord God my home. God, I'm telling the world what you do. I think that's our whole point here this morning, that change of focus, that change of what happens when we come into the sanctuary of God, when you begin to worship. And you don't have to wait till Sunday to do this. You can do this every single day. You can do it later this afternoon. You can do it tomorrow morning. You can do it as you're driving. You can do it throughout the week where you change your focus. That's worship off of you and on it to God. And when that happens, something changes inside of you. And that's what God wants for every single one of us. Whatever you're going through, know God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing, and he's ever-present. And he's faithful to you even when you're faithless. Don't let while you're in the middle distract you. Put your focus on God. Let him walk you through the middle so you can see a better perspective. Let me pray for you. Let me bless you here. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for all these people who've come out here today to give you attention, to give you the first part of their week. And so, Lord, I pray and speak your blessing on them. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious 
to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and now give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. God bless you. Have a great week. If you want people to pray for you, the people around the edges, they're here to pray for you. And we'll see you next week.